Welcome back to Method Men Podcast. My name is Kevin Nelson. I'm your host, and I'm so excited that to start season two, we had 20 awesome conversations last year uh, for the for the podcast. If you haven't gotten the opportunity, I hope you go back and listen to those. But it, it is uh, such a thrill to get to kick off this new season uh, with my guest, Matt Roll. Matt is the lead pastor at uh, Asbury United Methodist Ch- Church in uh, Bossier, Louisiana. Interesting, interesting uh, conversation. Uh, we did a study in uh, an Advent study of on his book that he wrote, uh, A Heart That Grew Three Sizes. And the last few pages of that book really intrigued me. And I reached out to Matt uh, online to see if he would uh, be willing to come on the podcast. I think you're going to really enjoy the conversation. Uh, have a great day. And remember, joy is the steadfast assurance that God is with us. I am so excited this morning to invite and introduce to you Mr. Matt Roll from he is the lead pastor of uh, Asbury United Methodist Church in, I'm going to make sure I say this right, Bossier, Louisiana. Bossier City, Louisiana. Bossier you, City, got Louisiana. you got it. You got it. All right. And Matt, uh, welcome to the show. And and uh, I was just speaking with Matt before we started recording. Uh, he just, we we just finished a, a book study that Matt had written, A Heart That Grew Three Sizes. And yeah. Matt, uh, tell us tell us a little bit about uh, about where did you get the uh, the thought process for that book? Yeah, well, uh, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a lead pastor uh, uh, Asbury United Methodist Church, and in 2020, uh, it felt like the Grinch had stolen Christmas <laughs> because no we, doubt. No we, doubt. we were wearing masks, we were physically distancing. Uh, you know, our worship services looked very very different. Like we did it, we did we did a deep dive into what is essential in terms of welcoming Christ for, for Christmas, right? There are a lot of things we fill our worship services with. And uh, some of these uh, uh, parameters that we had to adopt really forced us to ask some, some pretty, pretty big questions, right? Because um, when we look at COVID, there are kind of three marathons that were, that were running and that we're trying to persevere through. Right. You know, and that, that, first, that first marathon, uh, I call it traumatic in uh, traumatic improvisation. And what I mean by that is uh, everything was shutting down. Uh, our, I mean, even our, our sanctuaries had to be shuttered for a time. And, uh, and there was some serious trauma there. Like, what does this mean? You know, asking the question of what does church mean when you're not physically present with each other? Like that's a, that's a, you know, some, we have, we have what's called Ascension Sunday, right? Uh, and it's right, it's right before Pentecost uh, where Jesus says, I'm leaving. It's up to you now. So, we're, we're having to wrestle with not being in each other's physical presence. So living into that story of ascension of, of Jesus departing, but also blessing with the Holy spirit. So it led us to ask all of these questions, right. Uh, in that first marathon, uh, which led us to Christmas, right. How, how do we have Christmas worship? When, oh, it, when, it, it, it just didn't feel right. It didn't feel right. You know, so in, in my own, in my own process of trying to figure that out as a pastor, uh, as a dad, as a husband, uh, it led me to, to, to write this book. And, and it's really, it was an outflowing of trying to make sense of the Grinch stealing Christmas in 2020. Like, what do we do with this? How do we, how do we recognize this? 
Uh, because in the midst of all of that, you know, if the Grinch's heart can grow, uh, then maybe mine can too, you know, for, for all of the right reasons, you know, in that, in that first bit of the book, uh, and that's it, it, the first bit of the book, the first chapter is exactly where I was, man. I'm sitting on the mountain. I'm looking at other churches doing their thing. And I'm filled with this <laughs> kind of resentment. Like, how are they? How, we're trying to follow the rules, man. Keep our people safe. And how are they doing that? And it just, it, it filled me with, with this bitterness mm-hmm. that, I had, that I had to figure out. Uh, and, and this, 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 it wasn't hatred, but it, it certainly was a bitterness of, uh, and, 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 and kind of a, a lament of, am I even doing what I'm supposed to be doing right now as a clergy person? Right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, my am, son am following God's call. Right. My son is a Methodist pastor in, oh, yeah. in, uh, Golston, uh, United er, Golston, North Carolina. And he, he, very small community, very, I mean, there's five, six families that make up you know, there's five generations every Sunday. They're sitting in the pews, and right. Yep. He was. He told me that same thing. He said, "You know, this congregation has. They're always together. Yep. So they don't understand why we can't all be together. Yes. Right. And 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 I was that way within within our church. It was like, but wait a minute. It's just not. It's not Christmas Eve if I don't hear Nanette Hill sing Silent Night. Silent Night. That's right. Right. And to and, hear Oh Holy Night live. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so Matt, I mean, obviously, uh, looking, studying up on you before I got you on here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this the heart that grew three sizes. It's just the last of of many books that you've written. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And and yeah. uh, uh, obviously, your your undergrad work at LSU School yeah. of Music. You have a genuine love for the arts yeah that's kind of where uh so interesting story with that and yeah uh the the heart that grew through sizes was my 10th book uh and working on book number 11 uh now what we may jump into later but uh i've always had a love for the arts uh i remember so my dad my dad is a chemist uh and my mom has roots in biology and i remember uh before going to lsu my dad sat me down at louis cafe which is like this 24-hour dive like right off of campus you know uh, my dad, you know, as a chemist, but also a believer, uh, you know, we went to church all together uh, as a family and he sent me down and he goes, okay, son, like, what do you want to do? You know, uh, now's the time to start thinking about a major. And you know, I said, well, dad, you know, I think I, I think I want to major in music and just kind of his demeanor changed for a bit. <laughs> I can only imagine. I oh, can only sure, imagine, man. You know, you're going to sure. make a, you're going to make a living doing that, man. That's what he said. Hey man, you asked, you asked what I want to do. Uh, and he said, you sure you don't want to do something practical like like chemistry, like your old man? You know, come on. And, and, and I, I told my dad, I said, it's not that I don't love chemistry and I don't want to do something practical or however you define that. It's just I, I can't imagine a day without music. I just can't. It's kind of like the air that I breathe. Uh, and and uh, my dad saw that passion in me. Uh, and back when I don't know if you remember uh, what is like Columbia Records or. I forget what the, the what the program was called, where you can buy like twenty CDs for a penny, and mm. you sign up uh, to get CDs in the mail and that kind of thing. Back back a hundred years ago, yeah, it seems like it, yeah. So my dad started ordering CDs to study what I was studying in school, oh, and that's what cool. it looks like to be supportive, right? You know, it's it's hey, my son want to study music, uh, so I'm going to study right along with him. And he started ordering CDs so we we could we had something to talk about when I came home. You know, that was really really cool. My parents, I've been really blessed and and. Uh, uh, thankful 
uh, that I just had great parents. I didn't earn them, didn't deserve them, still don't deserve them. Uh, but they were always supportive and, and, and loving and, you know, interesting how God works because <laughs> sometimes you can only see the kingdom in hindsight, uh, is I didn't realize how valuable music would be in the church. Uh, when oh, I discerned yeah. a calling into ministry, right? I mean, it's when you want to, when you talk about worship, it is word and music. <laughs> like that's a large part of what even happens. Uh, so for me to go to seminary and have that background in music, uh, now today, uh, has been extremely helpful. You know, when I went to seminary, uh, cause I went to Duke. So I was up in North Carolina for a bit. Uh, and, uh, I didn't sing for two years, the two years of seminary, uh, because I knew the minute that I did, they'd give me a choir robe instead of the pastor's robe. Uh, and I, I wanted to be the pastor. I didn't want to be the choir director. Uh, I mean, I've been a choir director, I've been doing it. I've done it for years. Uh, uh, but finally, uh, it took me a while to marriage those, to, to marry those two callings together. Uh, and has been, uh, extremely helpful, uh, just, just in the parish, you know? Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, I can imagine. So your time at Duke then, what, when were you at Duke and at Divinity School? Yeah, super. So, uh, 2004, uh, to 2007. So, uh, you know, I, mu- I majored in music at LSU. So I got football taken care of in undergrad, got basketball taken care of in grad school. Oh, here we <laughs> yeah, go. So, there you go. Yeah. So if I, if I, if I ever go back, you know, I need to find a baseball school, maybe I'll go to like Florida state or, uh, something like that. I mean, LSU has got a great uh, baseball team. Uh, but yeah, I was there for three years. Absolutely loved it. Uh, uh, I was a, a Duke chapel intern. Uh, so I was in the big house on campus and, uh, I've always had a, a deep, you know, God's sense of humor just amazes me because <laughs> I've always had this real deep passion for traditional worship, like I, the, the holiness of it, the liturgy, the beauty of it, you know, wearing the robes and carrying the cross and all these things. And, uh, but, but dad gummit, uh, everywhere I've ever been, I've had to lead contemporary worship because <laughs> God, God must be laughing his face off, man. <laughs> I, I say it all the time. If, if you think you've got a plan, God's sitting up there laughing, going, Oh, wait, till, Absolutely. Kevin, wait till Kevin gets to, into today and see what he gets, uh, what exactly. I throw it, you, You're building the tower of Babylon and, and the good Lord has to even come out of heaven to see what you're doing. It's so small, you know, <laughs> it's so great. Uh, but yeah, I was at Duke for 2004, 2007, Christy and I, uh, my wife, uh, married, uh, just prior, uh, to going to school and, um, absolutely loved it. Um, you know, one of my favorite stories, uh, that I can tell publicly <laughs> is, is we were, um, I find this fascinating, uh, as a student intern, we led a prayer service, uh, one night, uh, for students. And, uh, uh I lived just off of East campus. So I had to take the East West bus, mm-hmm. uh, and, and you, you couldn't Crisco people up enough to get in that bus. It was just overflowing with people. And, and, uh, and everyone's on their phone and had earbuds and, you know, doing a thing. And so I get to the service and we hear prayer concerns uh, at the end of the service and people came down and, and we had a prayer with them. And the number one concern, uh, it was not grades. It wasn't money. Uh, it wasn't classes uh, or sports. It was the number one concern was loneliness. We heard it over and over and over again. Mm. Uh, people were desperately lonely. Here's the thing. Uh, how can you be lonely on an overcrowded bus? <laughs> you know, and it's because we're turned inward. We're, we're too inwardly turned, right? Uh, and aren't we still? Aren't we still that way? Yes, <laughs> yes. You know, it, it, it's and uh, hopefully, it, you know, church, especially like when we're now coming back in person and we can see each other face to face, and this kind of thing is is opening ourselves up again and like recognizing our neighbor and loving our neighbor, uh, because you know, loving your neighbor is not just a good uh, practice. You know, it's not, 
uh, just something that Jesus asked us to do. It's for our own soul as well. It's, it's also for our own soul, right? It, it lifts us up. It, it opens us up. You know, if we're lonely on an overcrowded bus, then maybe we need to take the earbuds out and look at each other face to face and, and start there. You know, you know your, your comment just made me think back to the dreadful day of nine 11. Sure. Yeah. And everybody remembers where they were. Yep. Yep. But what I remember so much of is how everyone, how it changed everyone. Yeah. How everyone was starting to look out for someone you didn't know. Yeah. How I was, my father was having open heart surgery and, and I needed to get back to North Carolina and, and couldn't get a flight. And so I was driving and every place I stopped, I was, you know, people were helping each other get gas and they didn't have food or they didn't have water or they, and just, it was just an overwhelming like concern that people had for one another, but then it went away again. Oh, sure. And now we hear we're going through this. We're two years deep into a pandemic (laughs) and what people want the most is just to be connected to another human being. That's right. Right. And I see it. I, I travel for work all the time and people are trying to, I see more people opening up and having conversations with people that they don't know. Yep. Right. That's because they've been isolated for so long. Now they want to talk to one another. So in your congregation, as you've, how have you transitioned? Are you transitioned all the way back or are you still doing remote? Yeah. So, you know, with, with the, like I said, the, the three, so the three marathons of COVID, right. Cause we're, we're, we're in it, we ain't done yet, sir. No, no. <laughs> we ain't done yet. You know, that, that, that first marathon uh, was a uh, traumatic improvisation, right? We had to figure it out. We had to build the dance floor while we were dancing on it. And it was born out of trauma of everything shutting down. And what does this even mean? You know, I mean, and it forced us to ask some pretty big questions, like what does communion look like when you can't be in person, you know, these kind of things and, and things we've never had to think about. Well, we are in uh, the second uh, COVID marathon, uh, and and if I were a betting man, I think we're something like sixteen and a half miles into it, uh, and, and I'm, I'm I call it uh, existential exhaustion. <laughs> so people are tired, man. Uh, uh, family life uh, Monday through Friday has never been harder. Uh, I mean, like my sister who lives down in Baton Rouge, their school system let them know 10 p.m. on a Thursday night that Friday was going to be a virtual day um, uh, because of COVID outbreaks and uh, always having to think on your feet and our teachers, God bless them. God bless our teachers of just the rigmarole that they're having to do on it. You, you think clergy have it bad teachers, man, you got to pray for teachers every day of, of what they're, they're needing to deal with. So it, there, there's this exhaustion that has set in, in this second uh, COVID marathon, but it's existential in the sense that people are asking big questions. Like, do I want to stay in the same job? Do I want to stay in the same location? Because this is kind of, do I want to stay in the same church, right? This is kind of this natural transition that everyone is going through, uh, which is leading to actually some really important discernment decisions, right? Oh, yeah. And then the, the third marathon, which, which we're just starting to taste right now, this third marathon that, that that's coming up, you can write it down now because it's coming. Uh, I call it nostalgic scarcity. Nostalgic scarcity. What I mean by that is, especially in our churches. And, and frankly, in the movie industry and anywhere where you're putting dollar bills uh, is, is people are going to think that there's not enough and they're only going to invest in things that make them think like they're back in 2019. However, that's defined. Hmm. 
Um, uh, we see it in the church now, like for example, one of our, God love them and we're doing it. We, we did it. Uh, we're not going to do it wholesale, but one of our Sunday school classes really, really, really wants printed bulletins again. Uh, cause we, we gave up printed bulletins, uh, cause back when we thought COVID could be, uh, transmitted through touch, which really isn't the case anymore. Uh, but we, we, we cleaned surfaces. We got rid of passing the plate. We got rid of bulletins, this kind of thing. And we went completely digital, uh, with that. But there's a Sunday school class that that really wants the printed bulletin to hold. So you know what? You print a few. Ain't no thing. We, we, so we printed a few. And we told them exactly where you can pick them up. It, and, we, and we announced, like, if you want a printed bulletin, you can go to the welcome desk and get one. We call it a connection point. You, you can go to our connection point if you want it. But we also have a texting service where you can get the, get the bulletin on your thumb right there. Uh, so there's this nostalgic scarcity uh, that's coming of people wanting to invest greatly in making them feel like they did before the world went crazy. Uh, if there was ever a time before the world went crazy, uh, but, it, but in recent memory, and that's kind of the third for all of our pastors and leaders and churches, that's going to be something on the horizon because not everything is going to make it out of COVID. Not everything is going to survive it. And we, through great discernment, have to figure out what those things are. For example, uh, some of the simple questions like, do we do printed bulletins or not? Mm-hmm. That's a fairly simple question, right? Do we have ushers that pass a plate or do we go strictly to like online giving? But then you have to think about like the big, because we have a, a thing called trunk or treat in, in October, right? We open sure. our doors. Our church and, as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, before COVID, we had something like 2,000, 2,500 people on campus. Not anymore, you know, uh, and we had to really scale it down to the point where we we're asking does this have the same kind of kingdom value that it does? Do we need to reimagine this? And that's a big deal. Like we put a lot of money into it, a lot of time, a lot of volunteers. Uh, but it, it, the point of all of this is not just to go back to what we were doing in 2019, right? Because there are three ages. I, I talk about three marathons of COVID. There are also three ages uh, that, that are all in the same house. You mentioned five generations in your son's church. Well, there are three ages that are existing at the same time. There's industrial age, information age and um, augmented age. And all three of these that happen at once. Man, church has never been more fun, man. <laughs> There's so much going on. So industrial age, right, is, for example, if you think about uh, church registration, mm-hmm. industrial age is you have a pew pad and you sign the pew pad with your family's name. And you might check a box that says, I want to talk to the pastor or whatever, or you sign a registration card, something like that, hand it to an usher, put it in a basket. Uh, information age is you might have a QR code. Uh, that you scan with your phone or you check in with Facebook or some, there's some kind of digital format. We have a Google, we have a QR code and a Google form uh, that we have uh, in our congregation, but then there's augmented age, which is where you won't even have to take your phone out. Uh, there's like a geo fence around the campus. And as soon as you're on the campus, it checks you in yeah. and you have to take your phone out. Right. Same thing with like church giving industrial age is you put money in a basket or money in an offering plate and you pass it information age is auto draft or text to give, you know, that kind of thing. Augmented age is, Hey, pastor, can I give you the interest of my Bitcoin to pay for my son's mission trip? Right. That's new. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're still scratching our head. In fact, uh, we are uh, the Louisiana Methodist foundation. I'm so proud of them. Uh, they're, they're looking at what it looks like to house digital wallets for congregations. Like if someone wanted to give Bitcoin or something like that, uh, how, how does that work? Is right. it viable? Does it make sense? Now, does it make sense this weekend because crypto and currency tanked this weekend? I don't know if you followed that, man. Oh, yeah. Holy smokes. <laughs> it, it was tanking this weekend, baby. Uh, but so all three of those things are existing at once. 
So the temptation is to go back to this industrial age thinking, uh, which is not where uh, we're going. Just as a culture and a society, uh, are there some bad things about being completely digital? Of course. Were there some bad things about being industrial? Of course, man. Uh, uh, human sin, we haven't defeated it yet. <laughs> so, you know, because uh, uh, a lot of our churches are like, well, we don't want to move into the augmented age. Well, you can't, you can't make that decision. You are in it, right? It's just right. It's it's inevitable. Yeah, and these spaces, these spaces need the church's ethic, right? Uh, so if we shy away from it, someone's going to take that space, uh, and it might not be a good thing, right? Uh, like, like for example, when we're learning about Facebook and, and how they watch us and use our information and this kind of thing, like, man, they, they need some ethics up in this place. <laughs> we need the church to enter into these places and not be afraid of it because we need kingdom ethics uh, in some of these these digital spaces. So we've been we've been doing COVID has forced us to have a lot of questions and ask a lot of things about how we understand uh, what it means to be church. You just, again, led me to another, I, I was, there was an, uh, there was a, an interview on uh, national news. This has been a couple of months ago where they were talking about that only 32% of Americans mm. will even recognize organized religion. Oh, sure. Yeah. And, and it's concerning to me and it's, uh, my mission is about men. And because I believe that if the men are not leading their families to church and to Christ, then it's really hard. Sure. That family, right. Numbers are not in your favor. (laughs) No, but what are we going to do, Matt? Yeah. What, how, what are you, what do you feel that the Lord is leading you to do differently to, to try to get those 68% 68% back. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, a couple of things. Uh, one is for folks, because we, we, we tend to look at like the church and the world. And there, there's some theology behind that, right? Paul talks about the spirit and the flesh and the church and the world and this kind of thing. But people need to realize that it's, it's when they say they're not religious. Well, well they, not, they might not be Christian, but we're all religious to a certain extent, right? We are hardwired to have a set of assumptions that we live by. Like organized religion uh, gives us the, like when you play a sport, right? Organized religion shows us where the boundary lines are and it shows us where the rules are. Uh, uh, and, then, and then there's some wiggle room between denominations of, of how you play the game, so to speak, right? As Methodists, there's a lot of grace in the plays that we call. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of mission in the plays that we call. Uh, there's a lot of Bible reading, you know, this kind of thing, as opposed to like the Catholic church where there's a lot of tradition in, in the plays that they call. Um uh, and the Episcopalians, uh, a, a lot of the books that they read are in the places. So every denomination reveals something beautiful uh, about God. Um, uh, so one, we it, it's helpful for people to know that uh, I don't think you can choose to be religious or not. Uh, you can be Methodist or not. You can be Baptist or not. You can be Buddhist or not. Uh, but you do live by a set of assumptions in the way that you organize your daily life. Um for example, like going to the gym might be your religion. And I'm not saying these things are necessarily bad, they're good or bad, right? It's just getting people to understand uh, whether it's uh, going to the gym, whether it is work, your work might be your religion, right? Um, uh, the, the way that you organize your life, uh, and we do it all the time. Um, we live, assumptions are not a bad thing. They're just shortcuts. But every now and again, we have to check our assumptions. Every you know, as we as we grow in faith and as Absolutely. we learn, we have to check those assumptions every now and again. Assumptions are not bad. We all live by them. You know, when you put your foot on the brake of your car, you assume it's going to stop. 
<laughs> if you didn't have that assumption, driving would be impossible, right? You know, this kind of thing. You trust your dentist when your dentist tells you to brush your teeth, you know? Uh, so that that's kind of step number one is to recognize. So which, and it depends on where people are, right? Because uh, I can also say like, which God are you following, right? Um, uh, and which religion are you following? To say that you're not religious, uh, I think is impossible. I think. Uh, because we always organize our, our our lives according to a set of rules, you know. But secondly, in terms of getting people back, I, I think there needs to be an honesty uh, uh, with the word. So I, I teach disciple Bible study, and and, and I love it. Uh, my dad has done it for years. I mean, my mom and I, dad have both done it uh, for years, and it's one of my favorite things because when you when you actually open up the Bible and you start to read it, I love seeing like the light bulb go off. Sure. Right? Um, because you know, one of the travesties of what we've done as a church, I think, is like we have a really strong vacation Bible school program, which is great. Thumbs up, excellent. Like our kids are here, they're having fun, they're learning stories of Noah, they're learning the stories of Moses, learning the story of Paul. All that is good. The problem is you graduate from vacation Bible school around fifth grade, but around fifth grade is when your brain is able to handle things like metaphor and symbolism and a different kind of depth to these stories, right? And the problem is a lot of us, a lot of our sisters and brothers have stopped reading the Bible after vacation Bible school. <laughs> so in other words, like, like when Paul says the difference between spiritual milk and food is that a lot of us are locked into the version of the Bible that we heard in like fourth grade, right? And it's not that that's necessarily a bad thing, but there's so much more there you know, there's so much richness, there's so much depth uh, uh, in, 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 in the stories. So I think a part of what it means to get people back or that other 60% uh, is, is, is kind of an honesty with scripture. It is inspired, the inspired word of God. Uh, and it is, it has a, an amazing beauty and depth to it in terms of what it means to be alive. People ask me and have asked me before, you know, why, why are you a Methodist? Uh, and I say, you know, I'm not a Methodist because I think it's right, um, as opposed to like I think Baptists are wrong or Episcopalians are wrong, right? That's that's a bold claim, man. That's right. <laughs> you know, I don't have the mind of God. Uh, that's a bold claim. Uh, so I'm not a Methodist because I think it's right. Uh, I, I'm a Methodist because I found it to be beautiful, and it has been my experience of God, where grace is at the center of all things, forgiveness prevenient, justifying, sanctifying grace, uh, the importance of field preaching, of going where the people are, right? Methodism has been my experience of God. And then people ask, you know, well, why, why are you a Christian? Uh, and, and the quick answer to me is Jesus is what it means to be alive. Jesus is what it means to be alive. Jesus is the word of God, the wisdom of God, the, the air that we breathe. It is, it is, you know, being fully human and fully divine. Christ is the archetype. And Christ is calling us to be a part of his own body. And, and when we recognize that, uh, that Christ is the head uh, and I can be the hand, someone else can be the foot, someone else can be the rib cage. Like we, we all need each other in this body. Uh, or as I, I joke in saying, sometimes I feel like the appendix <laughs> today. <laughs> I used to have a really great purpose, but I, I don't know anymore. So sometimes I feel like I'm the appendix in the body of Christ, um, you know, but uh, you know, bringing people back, uh, I think one, it starts with understanding that we're all religious in a particular way. It's just what God are you following, right? Uh, the second is the beauty of the book that we've been given. 
and, and there's some challenges there, right? You know, it, it's, it's, we have to recognize that it was, it was written. It's a library. It's not, you know, one dude didn't just sit down and write the whole thing. It is a library of thought over thousands of years, but it is rich and it is beautiful and it is life-giving. And then what does it mean to be alive? Uh, being a part of the body of Christ is what it means to be alive. At least, you know, from my perspective, in, in my opinion, uh, uh, I love, you know, Jesus's mission uh, was uh, to open the eyes of the blind, release the captives, preaching good news to the poor, and to announce that this is the year of the Lord's favor. You know, if we could hold on to those things of doing what we can to open our neighbor's eyes and to open our own eyes, frankly, uh, in our own assumptions, right? We have to check those uh, to, to preach good news to the poor, because if what we're doing is not good news to those who need it, uh, then, then we are an institution feeding its, itself. You know, we're, we're not the good news to our neighbor. Uh, and then to announce, I love that. And he ends with, this is, this is the year of the Lord's favor. If we can ap- approach every year as this is the year of the Lord's favor and, and to perpetually be under this kind of Sabbath driven joy of God, uh, uh, I, th- I think we will, we will once again, see some really great fruit uh, being produced. Uh, in the church and beyond. All right. You teed it up for me. Oh yeah. In your book, at the end of your, you, you talk about this angel, the angel of joy. Oh yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and this yeah. was the the last few pages of your book Yeah, yeah, yeah. really got me to start thinking and asking other men about the difference between happiness yes. and joy. Love it. And my question to every man that I've talked to about it, I said, okay, tell me what brings you joy. Yeah. Well, seeing my son play football, seeing my daughter play the piano, seeing my, my wife succeed in her work, seeing, seeing the, seeing that. And I go, okay, is that really, but is it really joy? Yeah. Yeah. Or is it happiness? Happiness. Yeah. Right. And, and. So my question, Matt, is, is can you truly have joy if you're not in the right relationship with Jesus Christ? Mm, great. I love this. This is a great question. Uh, let's start with uh, what joy is, right? We, we need a good working definition of joy. Uh, and I, I, I joke, I, I tell my wife all the time, I want one thing on my tombstone. You know, it, it will, I will have heard, well done, my good and faithful servant, if people memorize this. Joy is the steadfast assurance that God is with us. That's what it means. Joy is the steadfast assurance that God is with us. Sometimes that is a happy feeling. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's not a happy feeling. Sometimes joy is the bloom that happens in the midst of rubble, right? Because we think, uh, I mean, we, we've been taught, right? Uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, as, as the three pillars of our life, right? Uh, the pursuit of happiness. Uh, uh, th- that's, at least in our Christian tradition, that is not correct, the pursuit of happiness. Uh, that, that is not our ultimate pursuit. But joy is. So in Advent, uh, we actually light the candle of joy last because uh, I'm, I'm of the opinion uh, that joy is the culmination of the season, that joy is actually even more fundamental than love in terms of our relationship with Jesus, right? So we have to look at, at the gospel. Where did, I, where did I get this, right? So let's look at the gospel of Luke, right? Um, leap for joy, for example, mm-hmm. is only used twice. That phrase, leap for joy. And both of those contexts are really super interesting. The first is when Mary and Elizabeth meet each other. And John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb leapt for joy. Leapt for joy. That's right. Yep. 
Uh, so in meeting Jesus, he leapt for joy, right? And that's great. It's wonderful. Like, oh, the baby's happy. Like to be, well, hold it, keep reading, keep reading. Because the only other time that that phrase is used, not the only time the word joy is used, but that, that phrase leap for joy is when Jesus is doing the sermon on the plane. And he says, blessed are you when men revile you and hate you and persecute you in my, on my account, leap for joy on that day for great is your reward in heaven. So persecution and being reviled and being hated, they're not, those are not happy feelings, right? right? That's not happiness. Leap for joy because great is your reward, right? Joy is knowing that God is with you. And the story that I tell in the book, uh, which is, which is gut-wrenching, uh, that I've only told a couple of times is uh, we, we were in Disney World uh, with, with the family, right? Uh, and we go to Disney World too much, and that's a whole nother podcast. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, um, uh, and uh, we were sitting at, so all the kids were in, in the pool and, and I went and got a pizza at the, at the, uh, the cafeteria or whatever. Uh, and, and we got, we we're eating pizza and the kids came out of the pool and, you know, and Robert, my youngest, uh, we have four kids and, and Robert uh, still has a life jacket. Everybody else can swim. And he, you know, we took his life jacket off so he can eat uh, uh, with everyone else. And then my wife and I just started talking about what our next day, what the plan was for the next day. And kind of one by one, the kids peeled off after eating pizza and, uh, and we weren't, and I'll say we weren't as attentive uh, as we should have been because we were we were talking to each other. And um, uh, all of a sudden, and, and it both hit us like right between the eyes. We both had the same realization at the same time. Like, oh my God, where's Robert? There's his life jacket. Where is Robert? Where there's his life jacket. Where's Robert? Mm. Uh, and we both hopped up from the table, as you can imagine. Uh, and there was a woman uh, uh, who was carrying him. Uh, cause he had fallen in the pool and she said, I thought he was playing until I realized he wasn't playing. Uh, and, and he was pale. His lips were slightly blue. Uh, and it's, it's those moments where, I mean, your heart stops I oh, mean, just yeah. time, imagine. time doesn't move in those moments. Uh, and uh, obviously we thanked her and we took him and, uh, he ended up being okay. Uh, but, but there was, uh, I say that that was a moment of joy. Uh, it was certainly not happy. Uh, it was traumatic. Uh, and we rarely talk about it. But the joy was there was this moment of thanksgiving of this woman being in the right place at the right time uh, in the pool. There was a moment of joy in knowing that we, we truly felt that God was with us. God was holding us. God's heart was breaking as our heart was breaking of hoping that our son was okay. Uh, I truly felt that God was with us in that moment. And thankfully, and I know not everybody's story ends this way, but thankfully Robert was okay. And he was only under for a short time and, and, and he's, he's totally fine uh, now. But when I talk about joy, joy is what sticks around when the happiness is gone. Joy is what sticks around when the sadness is gone. <laughs> um, joy is the, the bedrock of who we are as Christians. Uh, case in point, when the angel appears before the shepherds, <laughs> what does the angel say? Listen to the qualifiers. I bring you good news of great joy. Good. The news is not great. No. Good news. Good news of great joy. The news is good. The joy is great because God put on flesh walked around with us, showed us what it meant to be alive, and then gave his life for us 
and said, do not be afraid. And it says, when the women ran from the tomb, it said they ran with fear and great joy. Uh, fear in the sense of, what does this mean? We've never seen this before. The tomb is empty. Uh, and there is some some fear, you know, especially with the disciples. We forget the disciples deserted Jesus. When he was arrested, they were gone, gone pecan, as we say down in the South, in Louisiana, gone pecan. Uh, so now that Jesus is back, what is he going to do? Is he going to chastise us? Is he going to kick us out of heaven? We left him to die. And he didn't. Jesus forgave them. And he said, look at my hands, look at my, whatever you need, brothers, uh, I love you. Um, that is joy. Even in the midst of deserting Jesus, he forgives them and loves them. And I will be with you to the end of the age. That's what joy is, man. It's, that is, it is so good. It's so good. That's so when, good. We come to that, when we come to that realization, we realize that, that the, the rest is gravy, baby. The rest is dessert. You know? That is, that is awesome. Joy is the steadfast assurance that God is with us. Emmanuel. Yes. Mm. Oh, Joy is the steadfast assurance that God is with us. I don't have any tattoos, but that just might be tattoo worthy one of these days. <laughs> I think right on your forearm, right, man. right there, man, <laughs> right on the forearm. I'll do, I'll do a little sleeve wrap, you know, around here. There Joy you is go. The steadfast assurance, man. If we could, if we could remember that joys that, that, even when, when happiness fades, joy sticks around when sadness fades. Cause it does. Sadness does indeed fade. Uh, what sticks around is joy because joy is the steadfast assurance that God is with us through thick and thin hell and high water. Uh, and thank God for it, man. God knows me and still loves me. He keeps showing up and, uh, I'll never get over that. I'm, I'm thankful. I'm thankful. I'm genuinely thankful that God keeps showing up, uh, in, in my life. That is awesome. Matt, I can't thank you enough for taking, uh, taking a few minutes here this morning Absolutely, to, man. Uh, to be with me. And, and uh, uh, I can't wait to uh, see what your next book is about. And hopefully. Yes, I'll we'll tell get, you. Yeah. Give me. I'll give go ahead and tell you. Yeah. So we're working on it right now. You can pre-order it now. Uh, anywhere fine books are sold. Uh, it's called Jesus Revealed, uh, the I Am Statements of the Gospel of John. So it's a study on the I am statements uh, because there's this beautiful depth in John's gospel. What does it mean for Jesus to say, I am light? What does it mean for Jesus to say, I am bread? Let, let's, let's talk about that. Let's, let's, let's dissect that. Uh, good shepherd, vine, you're the, you're, I'm the vine, you're the branches. I'm the resurrection and life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. How do these statements reveal not only who Jesus is, but our connection with Jesus? Uh, so that's coming out later this year, uh, probably... September, I think it'll be on the shelf. Are all of your books that you've written kind of in a in a study type of format? Well, originally, yes. Early on, excuse me. uh, Early on, yes. It was called the Pop and Culture series uh, because for a long time that was kind of my. uh, I'm not so much an innovator as one who connects dots, right? Like for example, I I remember watching uh, Cool Hand Luke with my dad uh, one day, and I just sat there. I said, "Huh?" I said, "I." Am I wrong? I'm seeing a lot of Jesus in this movie. Am I wrong? You know, no man can eat 50 eggs. And then there's this miracle. He eats 50 eggs. And uh, and, and the last scene is Paul Newman in a church saying, what we have here is a failure to communicate. I mean, there's some real rich stuff (laughs) in Cool Hand Luke. You know, so I I see those kind of, when you look for Jesus, you find him. Uh, uh, So I I see a lot of these things in in, in pop culture, right? Uh, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird is, is one of them. Like growing up in the South, you know, we got to talk about racial reconciliation and To Kill a Mockingbird is a great way to do that. Uh, so I wrote a book on that. Uh, Hollywood Jesus, seeing, seeing Jesus in films. 
the the redemption of Scrooge was my first uh, Advent study because if Scrooge can be redeemed, oh yeah, then what's then what's my problem? <laughs> you know, a Scrooge is a terrible human being, man. Um, so my my authorship, my writing career began with recognizing, uh, uh, you know, if 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 Scripture is correct in saying that all things were made through the Word, right, in the Word of God, and then uh, Paul goes on to say that all things have been, God was pleased to reconcile all things through Christ. All things were made through Christ and all things are held together in Christ. Therefore, I should not be surprised when I see Christ in, in works all of things, art yeah. or music or movies. You know, now, now there we've done a great job as human beings of tarnishing that image, right? Not everything is good, <laughs> but but everything just might have the potential to be when we offer it a Christian er- uh, ethic and, and a Christian narrative, right? So it started as kind of a pop culture thing uh, and it has evolved into uh, uh, opening up scripture uh, and, and, and wrestling with it uh, and, and really treating it uh, with, with great intention um, of, 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 what, of what it needs to be and how to read it and how to, how to apply it. So yeah, next book is uh, Jesus Revealed, uh, the I Am Statements of, of John, and it'll be out uh, around about September. Fantastic. Yeah, man. Fantastic. Well, if you'll allow me, I'll pray us out of here and I'll let you get back to work because you've got a sermon to got a head. You got a heavy weekend coming. Got a heavy weekend (laughs) at you, right? All right. So let's pray together. Amen. Good and gracious God, I just thank you so much for giving me this Mm. time with Matt. And and Lord, I just I just thank you for the gifts that you've given him, for Mm. the passion that you've given him to to lead your people to to write, to see things differently, to share his gift with others, with the world. Mm. So, Lord, I just pray that you will uh, you will continue to be with him, that you will continue to be with his congregation, with his family. And Lord, don't ever let him forget that joy Mm. is the steadfast assurance that you are with him. Mm. I thank you for all these things, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Matt, have a great day. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye.